to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you have never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. If you aren't following us on social media, make sure to head to Facebook and Instagram and search for My Collective Church to learn more about what is going on at Collective as we start this new year. Thank you again for listening. Now let's get into Sunday's message. So I don't know about you, but I love reality competition shows. Uh, I love cooking competitions, and I genuinely believe that I think I've seen every episode of every Gordon Ramsay show ever. Uh, If he put out a a TV series where he just screamed at strangers on the street, I would watch every bit of it. Uh, I love Shark Tank. I watch Ink Master. I watch Holy Moly, which if you don't know, is a reality show about miniature golf. It's great, and you should watch it. And also, if you're judging me, I don't care. Uh, But the show that I'm currently binging is called Alone. And the premise is really simple. Ten individuals try to survive in the wilderness for as long as possible with a limited amount of survival gear in a terrain that is treacherous. They have to build their own shelters, they have to find their own food, and deal with bears and cougars and wolves who are all native to the land. The first season I watched, they were in Northwest Canada in the winter, and about 20 days in, it snowed and it did not stop. And except for weekly medical check-ins, the participants are isolated from each other and all other humans. In fact, they even have to carry the gear and film it themselves because there isn't a camera crew. And people can quit whenever they want, but the contestant who remains the longest wins $500,000. And I'm obsessed with this show. Uh, Ray and I went on a hike this fall with our girls, and I spent the majority of the time trying to talk to them about like finding water sources and trapping animals just in case they got lost. But here's the thing. People will quit on this show for a ton of different reasons. Fear of bears, bad weather, hunger, injury. But do you know the number one reason why people quit? They can't handle being alone. They're lonely. They miss their family. They miss their spouse. The mental side of isolation gets the best of them. The work is too much for one person to handle alone. Whether it's days or weeks or a few months, eventually being alone is what takes the biggest toll on everybody. And isn't that just like life? Today, we're in week two of our series called Chasing Failure, and we kicked it off last week by asking ourselves the questions, what would I do if I knew that I couldn't fail? And I challenged you to write down two or three big goals that you want to accomplish this year that you're afraid of. And I was so encouraged by what so many of you shared with me over the past week when it comes to these goals. People were telling me they set goals to strengthen their marriage, to read their Bible every day, to take intentional days off just to spend time with their kids, to go on regular date nights with their spouse, to quit drinking. We had people check the baptism box. We're actually celebrating four baptisms this month, including one during this service. And if you didn't set goals, you still have time. It doesn't end because January is moving forward. And I just want to encourage you to write them down today and put them in a place where you can see them and be challenged by them every day. When doing research on the fear of failure, one thing I learned was that if you want to overcome that fear, 
You need to focus on the aspects that are actually within your control. And so what we're going to do over the next two weeks is I'm going to talk to you about two really important things that are inside of our control when it comes to our life and how we want to grow this year. And these aren't the only things that you control. I just think these are the most important ones. And one of the things that you control in your life is whether or not you try to go through it alone. In the Old Testament of the Bible, there's a book called Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes is considered wisdom literature. In fact, the word Ecclesiastes in the Hebrew language means teacher, because the author, a guy named King Solomon, is teaching his wisdom to other people. He's teaching his wisdom to us. And Solomon was the son of King David. He ruled Jerusalem for over 40 years. And he was also the wisest person in the world during that time. Because there's a story about how God came to him and actually asked him, hey, whatever you want, I'll give it to you. And so Solomon asked for wisdom. Then he took his wisdom and he wrote it down in this book. The thing, though, is that Solomon's approach to wisdom in Ecclesiastes is a bit pessimistic. Here's the second verse that he wrote. It says this in Ecclesiastes 1-2. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless. Okay, not the most encouraging start to a book in the Bible. Hey, everyone reading this in 2022, I just want you to know that everything is meaningless. And some of you feel that right now, and you're thinking, preach it, Solomon, like that's my life. But Ecclesiastes is essentially 11 chapters of Solomon telling us everything in life that has left him unfulfilled. And he talks about money, and he'll talk about power, he talks about possessions, but he also talks about being alone, Check this out in Ecclesiastes 4. He says, I observed yet another example of something meaningless under the sun. I can't imagine he was a lot of fun at parties the way he starts the sentences, but here's another thing that he said, this leaves you unfulfilled. This is the case of a man who is all alone, without a child or a brother, yet who works hard to gain as much wealth as he can. But then he asks himself, who am I working for? Why am I giving up so much pleasure now? It is all so meaningless and depressing. It's meaningless to do life alone, to choose wealth over relationships, ultimately to choose anything over relationships. And he continues, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. And so ultimately, he's talking about failure, right? If someone fails, they have someone to pick them up, to dust them off, to push them to keep going, but the person who fails by themselves is in real trouble. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. And so Solomon, the wisest person to ever live outside of Jesus, is teaching us that life is harder when we try to do it alone. It's easier to fail. It's easier to be defeated. It's easier to be broken. And if I could sum all this up in one sentence, it would be, we can make it together, but we can only make it together, which came from Glenn from The Walking Dead, RIP, but it was really good. So so here's the thing I want you to write down. When it comes to your life, when it comes to your goals and growth, when it comes to the next steps you want to take, don't go at it alone. Don't go at it alone because that's meaningless. And when you fail, which you will, which I will, we will be in trouble. But when you are not alone and fail, you will have someone else to pick you up. And anytime I talk about this stuff, I know there's always some people here, and most of the time it's guys, and they're thinking, man, I don't need friends. 
Right? Well, when Jesus started his ministry, he immediately found 12 men, his disciples, to have a relationship with. So even the God of the universe in human flesh knew he couldn't go at it alone. But you're probably stronger than that, right, men? Don't go at it alone. And typically when we talk about friendship in the church, we'll read verses like this. This is 1 Thessalonians 5. It says, so encourage each other and build each other up just as you are doing already. Or Hebrews 3, which says, but encourage one another daily as long as it's called today. Or Hebrews 10 says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another. And so ultimately we talk about, hey, let's cheer each other on. And we need to do this regularly because that's what we need. And the truth is we do need that, right? We need people in our life who will encourage us, who will build us up. But today I actually want to zero in on a unique aspect of friendship that Solomon talks about in a different book of the Bible called Proverbs. And unfortunately, it's an aspect that you don't see in a lot of friendships anymore. And this is what he says in Proverbs 27, starting in verse 4. He says, anger is cruel and fury overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? Now, the reason why I start by reading this verse is because the two verses that follow are about friendships, and they're going to contain some hard truths. And so this verse right here is good context for us. Solomon says that anger hurts people, that fury is overwhelming, that jealousy is worse, worse than both of those things. And so we actually have to remember this verse as context as we read the next two verses, because as difficult as the next ones are, the assumption is that it's not coming from a place of anger, fury, or jealousy. And so Solomon says, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. I want to read that again. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. And this word rebuke means correction. And so this piece of wisdom is telling me that if I am doing something wrong and I am doing something unwise with my life, it would be better for me to have someone to openly correct me than say nothing at all and call that love because that is a hidden love, right? That's fake love. And we, and we do this hidden love thing all the time. Right, hidden love is when you watch one of your friends make a destructive decision, and instead of calling them out, you say, that's just who they are, and it's not my place to say anything. Hidden love is choosing not to say that hard thing to your friend when you know they're doing something that's going to screw up their marriage, ruin their career, move them further away from their faith. It's watching someone you love fail and thinking, that's their problem, not mine. Right, we tell ourselves that we love that person by staying silent, but really we're just scared to tell them the hard truth. Or maybe we're even worried that they're gonna get mad at us and so we make it all about our feelings. But the longer we stay silent, the more damage occurs and that's called hidden love. And Solomon says, if you're choosing a friend, you should choose someone who is going to openly rebuke you, meaning someone who's gonna call you out on your crap. Someone who's going to honestly correct you when they see that your life is going off the rails. And then Solomon says, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. Now, it's important for us to know what this does not say. Right? It does not say that wounds from an enemy can be trusted. And an enemy is someone that you know, but they don't have your best interest at heart, and they say things to intentionally hurt you. It also doesn't say that wounds from a stranger can be trusted. 
That's important because in the internet age, there are all types of strangers who will wound you just because they can. Right? These people are called trolls, and they're the worst. They don't know you. They don't care about you. They don't have your best interest at heart. One of the things I didn't know before starting Collective and becoming a lead pastor was that I would have trolls of my own. Uh, I didn't take a class on this specific part of ministry in college, but there are people, both Christians and non-Christians, who don't like me and don't like this church, but they'll listen to sermons like this one. Hi, guys. Uh, Just so that they can say mean things about me and Collective on social media. And this has been happening ever since before we launched this church. And I know that they troll because of their own pain and their own sin. Uh, And rather than dealing with those things in a healthy way, they, they try to hurt other people. But this verse reminds me that I don't have to listen to their words because they're not my friends. One of my favorite authors, Brene Brown, says it like this. There are a million cheap seats in the world today filled with people who will never be brave with their own lives, but will spend every ounce of energy they have hurling advice and judgment at those of us trying to dare greatly. Their only contributions are criticism, cynicism, and fear-mongering. If you're criticizing from a place where you're not also putting yourself on the line, I'm not interested in your feedback. If they are not your friends, if they are not in the arena with you, their words shouldn't matter to you. You don't have to trust their wounds. You don't have to trust their feedback. You don't have to trust their pushing. The wounds you trust are wounds from a friend, right? someone that cares about you, someone that you can be real with, someone who doesn't want to see you fail, someone who is not afraid to share hard truths with you and correct you when you need it the most. One of my best friends growing up was a guy named Derek. And the best way I can describe Derek was that he looked and acted like Master Splinter from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And I know that sounds weird, but just hear me out. So Derek lived in the basement of his parents, and he blacked out all the windows, so it was always dark down there. Uh, He wore a bathrobe over his clothes every day. He knew karate, and I'm not sure he bathed. But Derek also loved Jesus and took his faith in his friends very seriously. And so one day, we were hanging out in the sewer that was his basement. We were eating pizza and playing Halo, which is a true story. And he asked me, he said, how are you doing with everything that's going on with your mom and dad? At the time, my parents were in the beginning stages of a very messy and very toxic divorce. And Derek had been kind of the house and the friend that I escaped to. And so I told him that everything was fine. There wasn't anything to worry about. But then after a very long pause, he said, I know you're not okay, and if you want to keep lying to me, that's cool, but I'm not going to stop asking you about it. You see, Derek had known me long enough, and he had noticed that this was having a negative impact on my life, on my attitude, on my commitments, on my relationships, on my faith. So he called me out. And to this day, I've remembered that moment because while it stung, and I definitely was very defensive when he said it to me, it's exactly what I needed. And all throughout high school and the beginning years of college, Derek was one of the few people in my life that I could be real and honest with. You need friends that you trust so that when they speak up, you listen, even if their words hurt, because you know they're not doing it out of anger or fury or jealousy. They're doing it because they love you. And whenever we get corrected, even when it's someone we trust, it hurts. That's why Solomon says it's a wound, and typically it wounds our pride and our ego and our desire to be right. But Solomon says that this is a crucial aspect of real, deep, reliable friendship. 
It, it leads to growth and next steps. It leads to making it through the gauntlet that is this life. We are supposed to seek out the kinds of friends who have a backbone and will tell you hard truths when you need to hear them. And if a friend of yours isn't doing that, they aren't really a friend at all. That's why Solomon says this, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. This means that the kind of person that only tells you that you are awesome is a person who is hazardous for you. The kind of friend who, who does nothing but pats you on the back or coddles your sensitive, delicate pride and ego rather than being honest with you. People who tiptoe around your sensitivity or who value your feelings over truth, the yes men of the world. Proverbs says that people like this might as well be your enemies because the way they are treating you is equal to hatred. And they are multiplying kisses. They're telling you that everything is fine when it's not. They're telling you that you're doing great when you are not. And that kind of friend is hazardous for your life. And sure, those people are fun to go grab a beer with or go to a show with. Uh, honestly, they're great to have on social media when you want to build up your ego by getting a bunch of likes on your posts. But do not rely on them for growth. Do not rely on them to speak wisdom and guidance into your life because, frankly, they don't care enough about you to deliver hard truth when you need it. They would much rather selfishly avoid an awkward conversation. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. And these verses, when rightly applied, can save your marriage. They can save your kids and your career. They can save your life. These verses can lead to emotional and spiritual and relational growth. They can take you to the kind of place where 10 years from now, you say, I'm not the same person that I used to be. Because these verses, when rightly applied, ensure that even in your failure, you at least have one friend. You at least have one person who cares enough about you to risk having an awkward conversation with you. One friend who's willing to offend your pride in the short term for the sake of your long-term well-being. One friend who will say the hard thing in order to get you back on track. And we all need friends like this. And if you choose not to have friends like that, then all the pressure is on you. It's up to you to self, it's up to yourself to identify the pitfalls in your life. It's up to you to try to come up with wise and discerning decisions. It's up to you to pick yourself up when you fall down. And I would argue that it's extremely difficult, maybe even impossible, to get through life without a friend like that. So according to the wisdom of Solomon, a good friend, not a bad one, a good friend is willing to wound you because they love you and they want what's best for you. And we need to have friends like this. We need to have people like this in our lives. And I know what some of you are thinking. I don't know if I want that, right? That sounds painful. That sounds dangerous. Of course it is. I just believe that having friends like this is less dangerous than you trying to figure out marriage or parenting or careers or school or dating or addiction or your depression all on your own. And so the way I see it, there are two options on the table. The first option is to live a life where you're never offended or wounded, but you have a high risk of being stuck. As Solomon puts it, you have a higher risk of being defeated. The second option is to live a life where very few select people offend you for your own good, and you have a higher chance of growing and maturing and experiencing deep friendship. And for you, you need to pick the option that will lead to the best outcome in your life, right? That's your choice. So which one of those things do you want? 
I know for me personally, I trust the wisdom of Proverbs. I trust the wisdom of my God. Because if I didn't have friendships like this in my life, I don't know who I would be right now. I can guarantee you that I would not be a pastor. I'm not even confident I would follow Jesus right now. I don't even know if I would be married because I'm not sure if Ray would have been able to keep dealing with my anger and my insecurities and my closed off emotional state. But the wounds that my friends have given me have led to life-changing growth. I'm not the person I could have been, all because I allowed specific people to speak into my life even when I didn't want to hear it, because they were right. And so for me, I refuse to have the mindset that a good friend is someone that stays on the surface level, that a good friend is someone you don't argue with, that a good friend is someone who doesn't challenge you, someone who you have all the exact same interests and you just hang out and have a good time, but nothing ever gets real. Because I have discovered that I need good friends who care about me and will deliver some hard truths and suffer through awkward conversations for my own good. And so if you feel like you need the same thing, right? if you're looking at you're saying, I need option two, here's what you need to do. You need to find a dangerous friend. Find someone who is willing to offend your pride in the short term for the sake of your long-term well-being. Find someone who is willing to risk your feelings for the sake of truth. Not their truth, but God's truth. And someone who doesn't do this out of anger or fury or jealousy, but out of a deep desire for you to be the best version of yourself possible. Find a dangerous friend. And for some of you, you already have someone in mind. You're thinking of a person that loves you and wants what is best for you. It's someone that you've been vulnerable with a few times and you've shared some real truths with. You trust that they have some wisdom to offer to you. And so if that is you, here's what you need to do today. You need to call them. You need to call them and give them permission to speak into your life. Give them permission to wound you. Because a lot of our friends don't know that they actually have this permission and so we have to tell them. And these are people that only you can choose. And this is really important. Some people are going to try to speak into your life like they are a good friend, but that's not their decision to make. That's your decision. And just like you need to give permission to people to speak into your life, you also need to make sure that you're not giving permission to someone by refusing to set boundaries with them. Because there are way too many people who let the wrong friends speak into their lives because they're too afraid to shut them down. Also, Today is not about being the person who speaks into someone else's life. You might be that person, but that's not what today is about. Meaning don't head out of here today and call your friends and say, hey, my pastor told me that a good friend wounds others, so I'm going to wound you right now. Right? If you spent this whole morning thinking you're the truth giver and not the truth receiver, you missed it, and you probably need to check your ego. Today is about you giving other people permission to be a good friend in your life, a good friend who is willing to wound you when you need it. Now, if someone, if you're thinking and you can't think of someone that you can call today, that's okay. You don't need to spiral. You don't need to panic. The best thing for you to do is to get involved here. One of the most important reasons Collective exists is to connect people to each other. And I say this all the time, the best community that exists at Collective is our team. And you can literally decide today to check a box or head to next steps to talk to someone so you can find your place here, so you can find community here. Because the truth is you don't have to do life alone and doors are open so that you don't have to do that, but it's still your choice. You have to decide if you want that. And so my challenge to you is don't walk away today before you lose courage. Find community. 
I want to talk to students for a second. If you are in middle or high school, I want you to listen to me right now. Loneliness is affecting your generation more than any other. A recent study said that 80%, four out of every five Gen Zers, said they do not have meaningful in-person social interactions on a daily basis. And so the truth is, Gen Z, you are more connected than any generation in the history in the world, but you are more lonely than any generation in the history of the world. And I know that you can feel that. And so I just want to encourage you strongly to fight off that loneliness and find the kind of friendship that we've been talking about today. And so if you are in middle school or high school, your challenge is to become a part of our youth collective. The youth collective is a group of middle school and high school students that meet every week here in this building to have fun and learn about Jesus. And I get that it's not up to you, right? Like You've got to talk to your parents, talk to them, drag them to next steps so that you can connect with one of our leaders today. Because I promise you that when you do that, you will meet adult leaders in your life, and you will make some new friends who will help you navigate this very, very difficult part of your life. And you need that. And parents of middle schoolers and high schoolers, they need that. You know, over the past, over the past 12-ish years that I've been in ministry, I've sat down with a lot of people who were in trouble, people whose marriages were hanging on by a thread because of affairs or addictions, people whose past brokenness uh, and their inability to heal that was leading them to unhealthy relationships and unhealthy choices, people who were struggling with doubts and self-hatred and unforgiveness and aggression, you name it. And whenever this happens, I'll always walk them through Scripture I'll start by saying, hey, well, what does God say about this? Let's, let's read what God says about this. And then what I'll try to do is I'll try to connect them to a counselor. Or I'll try to connect them to a community organization that specializes in the thing that they're going through. And I'll always finish by asking them if they have someone they trust who can walk alongside them through what they are going through. Is there someone that you can be honest and vulnerable with? Is there someone that can hold you accountable? Is there someone who will pick you up when you fail? Someone who won't just tell you what you want to hear, but what you need to hear? What I'm essentially asking them is, do you have a dangerous friend? And here's what I've seen. People who have friends that they can be real with stand a much better chance of breaking their addiction of having a healthy marriage, of healing and growing. And people who don't fail. The ones who isolate fail. In fact, the marriages that isolate fail almost every time. And if they don't fail, the truth is they never actually experience the redemption and growth and freedom that Jesus has for them. They just kind of plateau and go back to their old life before it got really, really bad. Because here's the truth. We can't go at this alone. And so collective, your challenge is to find a dangerous friend. Find people who love you and will call you out on your BS. Find people who will pick you up when you fail. Find people that will fight with you because they're fighting for you. For the sake of your next steps, for the sake of your faith, for the sake of your long-term well-being because it will be the difference between you failing and giving up and failing and getting back up and continuing to move forward. And so get after it today. Before you lose courage, find a dangerous friend. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful for wisdom. 
God, ultimately, that we can turn to your word, we can turn to the words of Solomon, um, and God, that we don't have to try to figure this thing out on our own. We can read something that someone wrote thousands of years ago, and it immediately resonates. God, it doesn't matter if it was from a different era. The truth is we know that we cannot go through this alone. Life is too hard. We're too broken. We're too messy. We're too prideful to try to figure it all out by ourselves. And God, the truth is we do that a lot. You know, we either put up walls to push people away or we think we're strong enough to handle the things that we're going through, and the truth is we're not. And so, God, I, I pray this week that as we, we continue to pursue goals, but really ultimately as we continue to pursue you, God, I pray that we realize that we can't do this by ourselves. God, that we need to have real friends, people who will encourage us, but ultimately people who will call us out, pick us back up, back up drag us back onto the path that we need to be on to share hard truths with us so that we don't go down a path we don't want to go down. So God, I pray that we have the courage to make those phone calls today, God, that we don't wait. Um, God, I pray for those people who are struggling to figure out who that person is, uh, God, that they recognize that there's someone in their life that might be that person, and they have the courage to begin developing that friendship. And God, for everybody here that doesn't think they have that person, God, I pray Collective can be a church where they find that community where they realize they don't have to do it alone, where they can bump into some people and maybe find a dangerous friend. God, help us do that this week. Um, help us receive those wounds in a healthy way that helps us grow and move forward. Um, but God, ultimately, help us do the things that lead us closer to you. God, we love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.